Hey, my friends, I am so excited to show you an amazing place. This is the only freshwater pearl farm in all of North America. I am in Western Tennessee near the town of Camden. This is the Tennessee River and yes, this pearl farm is amazing. I've been privileged to meet the experts who work this place and learn all that goes into farming pearls. Let me tell you how it works. First of all, divers with full diving apparatus, they explore the bottom of this river looking for mollusks, looking for the best mollusks, the most healthy specimens. And when they find them, they take them out. This is interesting. They put them in a water basin that they refer to as preoperative care to make sure that they're healthy before they endure this procedure. Once they say yes, they're healthy, these skilled surgeons very carefully open just a little bit of the mollusk. To open it too much, mollusk will die. But with a little bit open, they go in with their instruments. With a little knife, they make an incision in the muscle in a portion of it called the pearl sac. They then carefully with the tweezers insert one of these. It's actually a little piece of smooth pearl shell that's called the irritant. They place that into the pearl sac, take out their instruments, the mollusk closes, and then they put the mollusk in a base of water that's post-operative care, making sure that he's still healthy after the procedure. And then after that, folks, they take all of these mollusks and put them in what they call the net. 12 mollusks per net. And then take these nets by the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds out onto this grid-like structure where they float under the water for years. I discovered that it takes 10 years of slow pearl production in this animal uh, to create the pearls that we know and love. Oh, the buzz of harvest season. When the tag on the net indicates it's time for this net to come out and for the pearls to be harvested. They crack them open, inspect their beauty, clean them off, and turn them into beautiful jewelry. Production of pearls. How cool is that? Want to just give a shout out to all of you at our Bolingbrook campus, 95th Street campus, Wheaton, Hobson, and tell you I had so much fun meeting the owner of that pearl farm. His name is Bob Keast, and what a colorful character he was. He says, yeah, you can call me the Pearl Man. And I'm like, yeah, I suppose you can. You, you own the only pearl farm in all North America. And yet that title, the Pearl Man, there's somebody who could fight him for that, maybe has even more of a right to it than he. And that would be this guy, David Morris. David is a jeweler out of London who doesn't grow or farm pearls, but he does collect them. Crazy wealthy dude who loves searching the world for the best pearls. And it was four years ago that a fellow jeweler came to David Morris and said, there's a couple you've got to meet because they've got a pearl you have got to see. Meeting was arranged. A couple came to his uh, shop and they put up these two pearl earrings. Each earring had one dangling pearl on it. And, you know, David knows pearls better than anybody. He could tell immediately one of them was a fake and worthless, but the other one took his breath away. 
Maybe I should give you a little backstory. This couple had these antique earrings with no uh, knowledge of the actual value at all. In fact, they were collecting dust in their house. And one day they were kind of cleaning up and thought maybe we should go to a jeweler and see if these are worth anything. The jeweler was amazed at the one and recommended they go to a pearl appraiser. And they had it appraised at $140,000. Can you imagine that? And so David Morris is staring at this pearl, and they're like, you should know it was appraised at $140,000. And he says, is that so? He said, "Uh, could I take this into my microscope, look at it, x-ray it? And they're like, sure, go ahead. So he disappears. He does his study. And David Morris comes back and says, I'd like to buy your pearl. And they're like, well, we don't really know we want to sell it or not. And he says, I'd like to offer you 10 times your appraised value. Right now, I will give you $1.4 million for the one earring. Sold. You know, done deal, you know. David Morris didn't hesitate at all to fork over nearly $1.5 million because he knew the value of this pearl. It is the largest spherical a freshwater per- natural pearl in the whole world. This was the pearl of his dreams. He couldn't believe what he had seen. And he was willing to give whatever it took to make that pearl his. That sound familiar? You may know that Jesus told a parable that is sure an awful lot like this story. Matthew 9, I lied, Matthew 13 Verse 45 and following. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. How about that? I love this parable. It speaks to the incredible value of what we got. If you're a Christian, you've got the kingdom of God. You've been by God's grace, adopted into his family, reconciled with the king of kings, doing life with him. And Jesus says, anyone who has eyes to see will tell you that is the single greatest treasure in all the universe. And so many of us would say, amen. You know, I, am, I, I struck the lot, I won the lottery with what I got in Christ. This parable has been so helpful in changing my perspective on evangelism. Do you know what evangelism is? Big word. Simply means helping people find God. Or using this parable, helping people find the pearl. And I'll be honest, I used to dislike evangelism very strongly. This concept of persuading other people to embrace your faith just seems so wrong. When I was growing up, they used to call it soul winning. You ever heard that term before? Yeah, I'm a soul winner. It's kind of like a gospel cowboy. I, I'm going to go out and I'm going to win me some souls. You know, I'm going to got my gospel pistols and I'm going to I'm going to gain me some converts and put a notch in my belt when I win them over. You know, and it just ah. And then I realized, you know, who's winning? Is the is the evangelist winning? No, the person finding Christ is the winner. What we're doing, we're not winning or gaining anything. We're helping them to win the lottery. And when I started to see this is just about helping people 
score the greatest thing, the thing that they've been longing for, the thing they were made for, whether they realize it or not. It's just transformed my understanding of evangelism in special ways. I was doing it Friday, right? I was having lunch with a new friend who is not a Christian. In fact, he grew up in a family that didn't go to church at all. And he's just pouring out his emptiness to me. He's like, Jeff, I am so frustrated. He said, I've always been kind of just empty. But when I was a young man, I thought I knew why I was empty. He said, I thought, I, I thought you needed to be rich and you needed to have a beautiful wife and a great family and a lovely home and a fancy car. He goes, but now I got all of that and I'm more empty than ever. He goes, what's up? And I just with great passion said, could it be you've been looking for the wrong thing? I go, my friend, I, I was like you. I used to think that that's where life was at, but I'm telling you, the thing that is filling my heart with joy and meaning to overflowing is friendship with the God of the universe. Could it be that the thing you are missing is a relationship with your maker? You know, I reminded him, or told him, Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins so that you could be invited freely into the dream life with God. Now, he didn't buy it, but he was intrigued. And the whole time I sought to lay this out to him, was I thinking, I'm the gospel evangelist going to win me another convert? No. I was thinking, I got to help this guy score it rich and find the pearl of great value. That's the heart of what evangelism is, and we all have been called to this task. In fact, our vision at the Compass Church, not because it's our vision, actually, it's because it's Jesus' vision, is that every one of us would be engaged in this. We believe this so strongly that it's one of our four priorities. Do you remember our, our four priorities? These are like the four things we were saying. Hey, listen, if you just do four things, make sure you do these four things because they're the key to thriving in your Christian life. Here they are. Now, I should qualify These are the new and improved four priorities of the Compass Church. I don't like making changes, but we as a staff found it necessary to make some adjustments. The main words, pursue, connect, serve, reach, have not changed. Uh, You recognize those words. But the words that follow in three cases have been adjusted. In fact, if you want to look what the old ones were, you'll see them on your navigator on the back. And if you're inclined, take out a pen, cross them off, update your navigator with with this. Here, pursue him daily. That's seeking God in daily Bible study and prayer. No change. Connect in groups. We changed. It used to be connect in community. We discovered people thought we were talking about community impact and Community outreach. That's not what we were talking about. We were talking about getting in a group, small group, mid-sized group, the importance of relating through group involvement. So we've changed it to get connecting groups to create some parallelism, serve in teams. That's how we serve. We do that in community too as a, as a part of a team. So serve in teams. And then here's the one this series, The Pearl, is all about. The evangelism priority. It used to be called Reach Your World, and we discovered people thought we were talking about missions, foreign missions. And while, you know, foreign missions is unbelievably important to our church, what we were getting at was personal evangelism. So in order to focus our communication, we've changed it to Reach Your Neighbors. We're believing that every single Christian must be engaged in all of these, including this one 
if you're going to experience the great adventure that Christ is calling us all into. You know, one of the photos that has inspired me regarding this topic of evangelism is a photo of a worship service at our church. Really, really old one. This is a, uh, here I have it framed, but I'll put up a close-up here. This is a, a worship service at our original founding campus, which is actually our Wheaton campus. And you say, but it's outside. Yeah, that's because there was no church built yet. This is on the property, which was just an empty lot at the time. And this is a church service that's it's actually the cornerstone-laying service. And uh, this young man was not a member of our church, but he attended because he was friends with some people in our church. And this young guy was 34 years old at the time of this picture. He's had a pivotal moment in his life. Career-wise, he had tried being a local pastor. Eh, didn't go so well. He had done student ministries in Youth for Christ. He had dabbled in college administration. He had thought about being an army chaplain. But it was at this point in his life where he realized his calling. And his calling was to be an evangelist. Do you know who that is? That's Billy Graham. Billy Graham passed away this Wednesday at the age of 99 years old. And this calling, though a, a simple farm kid, he believed that, you know what, I think God can use me to help people find him. And he helped a few people find God. <laughs> Over three million, to be exact, the most fruitful evangelist in the history of planet Earth. And when he died this Wednesday, I was sad. I don't know if it affected you. I just had this sense of loss, like a glorious era had ended. And I had this thought of, who's going to replace him? Who's going to hold the banner of evangelism and help carry on this great calling? I have an answer. You know who's going to replace him? You are. You have to replace Billy Graham. How does that sound, huh? Tell you one of the reasons I say that, and, and that is because am I, is this thing shining light in your eyes? I'll put that down. Uh, the reason I say that is because you know the crusade evangelism that Billy did in the past isn't working as well in today's post-Christian society, and what we're finding increasingly is that the thing that works that we got to go back to is mobilizing the people of God to go missionally to their community to love and befriend folks far from God and through interpersonal evangelism lead them to Jesus. So you're the solution to this man's passing. And you may say, I can't. I'm no Billy Graham. There's no way I can do that. Here, this is why I'm so excited about this series. I understand being terrified regarding this topic. I share that terror naturally. But this series is a study of the steps Jesus took in evangelism. And they are so easy that I believe the terror will be removed and you will have this unexpected thought. I can do that. Friends, five weeks, five steps in an evangelistic journey that can turn you into someone who will help people find God and see their eternity changed forever. You want to justify your existence on planet Earth? Help someone find God.
You talk about significance, doesn't get any greater than that. And so what are these five steps? Well, here's what's so fun about the series title, The Pearl. The word pearl is the five steps. Let's go to the next slide. Look at this. P-E-A-R-L. Pray, eat, ask, reveal love. Yeah, this is what Jesus did. Is we're going to see Jesus called us to pray for people far from God, to pray for the great harvest of souls. Eat. You're like, really? I can do that. Yeah, you can. Eating with them. In Jesus' day, one of the primary ways people talked and socialized was around the table, was sharing a meal. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. And we are going to see how we can invite folks into our lives by just sharing a meal with them and conversing over that meal. A is for ask. Too often evangelism has been about telling. And we're realizing we need to follow the example of Jesus who was a master question asker. You can take a relationship with someone to a whole other level when you say, I want to hear your story. I'm fascinated to understand, where did you grow up? How did you meet your spouse? How did you end up in the career you did? What was your religious environment like at home when you were growing up? People are flattered and honored when we show interest in what they believe and how they've come to believe that. And so asking questions about them is just Huge. And that leads so naturally to revealing your own story because eventually they're going to say, well, tell me yours. And you'd say, well, it's, you know, not impressive in one way, but absolutely precious to me in another. And we can reveal, open up about our struggles and our story, particularly as our story relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ and how Christ and his death on the cross has changed everything for us. And we'll just share with them our story. And then lastly, love. You know, the love of God is the most powerful, transformational reality in the universe. And we, even though they're not a believer, we can give them a little bit of the taste of the love of God as God loves them through us. And we're going to learn about how we can love folks tangibly. I'm so excited. You're like, man, I think I could do those. Yes, you can. And as we do we will find our lives being made effective at helping real and real precious people discover the point of life, and that's knowing their maker. Ready? Week one is pray. And so let's turn to another passage here where Jesus teaches about the importance of praying for the great harvest of souls. This is in Matthew 9, verse 36. When he, Jesus saw the crowds. Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep, that's what Jesus saw, sheep without a shepherd. Now, that's not real meaningful in our context. I'm guessing none of you are shepherds. I could be wrong, but do you have any sheep, pet sheep at home? Probably not. In Jesus' day in that community, one of the most common things you'd see is a group of sheep with a loving shepherd guiding and protecting and caring for the flock. And it was a meaningful analogy. People knew that sheep just thrive under the loving care of a good shepherd. And one of the saddest things you could see is a sheep who had lost his shepherd. 
a sheep wandering by itself. Sheep aren't made to be alone. They're made to be cared for with a loving shepherd. And Jesus just said, when I see people without God, it's like seeing people without their shepherd. Jesus said, that's not the way it's supposed to be when I see people wandering, trying to make sense of life apart from their maker. Christ says, everything in me cries out, no! It's not supposed to be that way. And it stirred Jesus to compassion. In fact, the word is a fun, it's a Greek word that's translated compassion in our English Bibles. Splanknitsomai. Try that one. Splanknitsomai. And the word literally means a twisting of the gut. So when you read compassion, if you thought, oh, that's nice. Jesus had a little bit of compassion. No. Jesus is was aching in his guts for these people. He just cried for them, literally. In Luke 19, it says that he looked out over the crowds and he wept. In that passage, as he wept, he said, if only you knew what would bring you true peace. Folks, do you relate? When was the last time your gut twisted with compassion for people far from God? When was the last time you wept I would tell you my heart is not like Jesus in this regard. That really concerns me. In fact, I would say one of the greatest problems of Christians today is an undeveloped heart. We do not feel what Jesus felt. And that's really concerning to me. And I'm saying, Lord, I don't care like you cared. How can I, how can you grow to care about people far from God more like Jesus did? You know what the answer is? Prayer. Prayer will change your heart. And you say, why Why do you say prayer, Jeff? Because Jesus said prayer. Let me read the next thing he says. The passage continues in verse 37. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest. Ask the Lord, that's prayer. Did you catch that? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus is using two imageries. The first, the shepherd and the sheep. And now he's shifting to another one we can't relate to. <laughs> and that's the harvest. You know, maybe you grew up on a farm. I don't know. But the harvest being ripe, that excitement, that potential, is not something we easily identify with, but the people in Jesus' day would have. And Jesus says, when I look out over the crowds that are far from God, what I see is a ripe harvest. Maybe you've gardened, all right? Maybe you've grown potatoes, uh, tomato, not potatoes, tomatoes. If, if you've gardened and you're walking past your garden and you haven't walked past it in a few days and you're like, oh, look at those tomatoes. You're like, oh my, you know, you're like, I've got to harvest them. If I don't, they'll rot. This moment of opportunity will be lost. That's some of what Jesus is feeling. When he looks out over the crowds, he's like, oh, they're searching. They don't know what they're searching for, but they're searching. And this life, this kingdom, this pearl is available to them for the taking. We just need workers to go tell them. And so Christ cries out, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. I love that he calls God the Lord of the harvest. God's title, you know, just kind of shows you how important the harvest is to God. Just like the pearl man, uh, yeah, God's the harvest man, God. He is passionate. This is what he's all about is seeing people 
come back into God's fold. Jesus said the same. He said, I have come to seek and save the lost. It's the whole purpose. I am on planet earth. And so we're praying to the one who cares so much about this. This is his business. And what are we supposed to pray about? How are we supposed to pray about the harvest? (laughs) Are we supposed to pray, Lord, may the TV evangelists save many souls. Lord, may people stumble upon gospel tracks and just find, those aren't bad prayers, but they're not the prayer Jesus calls us to. Jesus said, pray that the Christians of the church would be mobilized to become workers in the harvest. The great need, as Jesus saw it, is for his people, God's people, to be so stirred by the importance of this calling that they get out there and do the work of evangelism. That's what we're supposed to pray about. And as we pray about it, his passionate vision concerning the harvest will capture our hearts. Prayer, it's the crazy thing about prayer. We, we normally pray because we want to change God. You know, we want, to, we want to inspire God to do something. And prayer does affect what God does. But prayer also affects us. In fact, when Jesus says, pray for the Lord to send workers into his harvest field, you know what he does in the next section of Scripture? He sends the disciples into the harvest field. It's, it's like, pray like crazy disciples that God would send people out. And then I'll send you out. And that's kind of what's going to happen to us, too, as we pray. Oh, God, people have got to reach these folks. We agonize in prayer. The Lord will say, how about you play a role in answering your own prayer and go? We will change. We will become concerned about the harvest that we're praying about. And we, we didn't used to be concerned about it, but now that we're committing it to prayer, our passion is growing. So we got to pray for people far from God. In fact, uh, that's the first challenge here that I want to make, and I want to make it strongly. Pray this week, this series. In fact, think of one person you could start praying for their salvation. Do you know somebody, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, a friend, who doesn't know Christ? They're trying to find life without the pearl. Pray for their salvation. Maybe it's two or three people. Maybe you need a little reminder to pray. We're, we got a little gift for you. You know I love props. Props are like physical reminders of spiritual realities. Ushers, would you, at, at all of our campuses, would you pass out the prop? Friends, we are about to give you your own pearl. Huh? Could be appraised at $1.4 million. I'm not sure. Probably not. But who knows? a gift to you. So take one pearl. If you say, no, no, I'm going to be praying for three people, so I want three pearls. Fantastic. Take three pearls. But these pearls are to be reminders that we are invited to live this adventure and enter into this high calling. Here's how I envision the pearls working. Do you carry stuff in your pockets like I do? I carry keys and breath mint and chapstick and At the end of my day, I seem to pull this stuff out of my pockets and put it on my dresser. Well, I'm imagining as I do, one of the things will be the pearl that I'm going to keep in my pocket for the totality of this five-week series, and I ask you to do the same. And as I take this stuff out and look at that pearl, I'll be like, oh yeah, the pearl adventure. 
and that you'd be reminded to pray. Right then, standing at your dresser, say, Lord, I'm going to pray right now for my friend, for my coworker, for the three people that I have in mind, and I'm going to cry out for their salvation. Now, the pearl will come to remind you of more than just pray. It'll remind you of all five steps in the pearl process and to be engaged in all five steps. But for now, it's a prayer reminder, okay? You may say, Jeff, as I see this pearl and I'm reminded to pray, what does it look like for me to pray for them? Good question. Let me show you just a basic outline based on the teaching of Jesus here. First thing is you can pray about the problem. They're sheep without a shepherd. To talk to the Lord about that. Say, Lord, my friend is trying to find happiness, meaning, purpose, and life without you. How sad is that? God, they need you. Pray about their state and let it grieve you as you dialogue with the Lord about the problem. Pray about the potential. What did Jesus say the potential is? Jesus said, friends, the harvest is ripe. It is ready. It is plentiful. And we should think about the potential that's here. My friend, my neighbor, my coworker. Oh, they're so ripe. They could know you. They could find Jesus. They could find what they're longing for. And just be mesmerized in prayer by that potential of them coming to Christ. Pray for it. And then lastly, pray about the solution. Remember what Jesus said? Pray that God would send out workers into the harvest field. And and we should pray the same thing. Who are the workers we should pray for? Us. Pray for the people of the Compass Church. Pray for the people of your campus and say, God, we, me included, we are inactive, many of us, in this high calling of evangelism. Stir us, God. Motivate us to get out there and to do this great thing. Please, God, stir me. Stir all of us. May we step into these five steps and start living this great calling. And as you pray about the problem, about the potential, and about the solution, I warn you, you're going to start to care. Your heart's going to become like Jesus. You're going to start to see people far from God like he sees them. And your gut's going to start to wrench with compassion. And it'll be a beautiful thing. All right. Allow me to close by telling you of one more lunch I had this good. I had good lunches this week. I'm telling you, eating, I got that point down. Uh, this, though, was not necessarily a lunch with someone far from Christ, just the opposite. This was a lunch with a young 20-year-old man from our church who is wildly in love with Jesus. He is on fire in his passion for Christ. Over lunch, he said, Jeff, I'm feeling a growing burden to be a pastor. And I'm like, I love you, you know, already. I'm like, tell me your story. How did you come to this place of obsessive celebration of the pearl? And he said, well, yeah. He goes, uh, originally when I was a kid, our family, we were not believers. In fact, we, we didn't go to church. We knew nothing about Christianity. He said, I was elementary school kid at that time, and we, our family went to Nichols Library, downtown Naperville. He goes, we just love going to the library. We frequented the library often. There was another guy there named John who was at the library all the time. And we met John, would say hi to him. Started to converse with John. 
In our conversation one day, we mentioned our passion for soccer. And John's like, no way. My family loves soccer too. John says, we should get our families together at the park one day and just have a pickup game of soccer. And they did it. And they had a blast. So much fun that they did it again. And then John invited this family, these new friends over to his house for dinner. And they invited John and his family over to their place. And a beautiful friendship developed. In the context of that friendship, this family realized John is a Jesus freak. John adores Jesus Christ. John believes Jesus is the greatest thing in the world, the pearl of great price. And as they got to know each other, they, the young man uh, bragged. He said, yeah, my parents, they didn't ask many questions. I was the one as a little kid saying, tell me more about that and why do you believe that? And he said, the more we understood through John sharing his story, the more we wanted in. And he said, my mom and dad prayed to trust Christ as Lord and Savior. I, as a kid, prayed to trust Christ. We were all baptized here at the Compass Church, and we're flourishing, loving life. All I can say, John, you inspire me. Ordinary guy had the audacity to believe God may use him to lead people to the point of life. And God did. And here's a family clutching the pearl with a grin on their face. Here's a young man planning on being a pastor. Can you imagine the ripple effects that may result? Way to go, John. And may more of us have the audacity to dream God could use us in the same way. May more of us say, yeah, those four or five five pearl steps, I could do that. I'm going to give it a go. See what happens. And friends, my prayer is that as some of us take fumbling steps in this direction, the days ahead are going to be a season of harvest at the Compass Church that will blow us away. Now, I want to pray, but as I pray in closing, it dawns on me that some of you are saying, you know, this whole getting, helping people find the pearl thing. Some of you are saying, no, no, no. I'm at the stage where I need to get the pearl. Some of you are like, you know, as I realize uh, this incredible life with Christ that's made freely available to me in a simple prayer, some of you are like, I always thought I had to like try to impress God with my moral living and, you know, really do a lot of good works to earn his favor. And now you're telling me that it's a free gift because Christ died for me on the cross. I, I simply need to ask. I need to turn to him and say, I want in. I want the pearl. I want part of your fa- be part of your family. I want forgiveness. I want heaven. You mean I can just ask for it? Yep. And you're like, well, then I need to do that. And so in this closing prayer, I'd like to provide an opportunity for you to do just that. It's that simple, profound in its implication, simple in the asking. But this closing prayer, though I'm talking, the Lord's not really listening to me, as much as he is, those of you who in the silence of your prayer are saying, yeah, I want the pearl. Those of you are saying, yeah, Jesus, I want, I'm asking you to be the forgiver of my sins, the leader of my life. This is your moment of getting right with God. So let's close our eyes at all of our campuses, bow our heads, and if that's what you want, silently pray with me. Jesus, uh, we thought the point was impressing you with our morality. We thought the point was impressing you with our religious engagement. 
We're, we're seeing here that it's simply asking that in faith we can say, Jesus, forgive our sin. And so we're asking, Jesus, forgive our sin. <laughs> Please, right now. We want the pearl. We want to be part of the kingdom. We want to be in your family and call you father and you call us daughter and son. We want to do life with you both now and for all eternity in heaven. So we're turning to you. Jesus, forgive our sin. Lead our lives. We want to do life with you from this point forward. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.